Hello, my name is Tapio Maseba and this is the Commercial Awareness Podcast, episode 45. First, some headlines. In transport news, the Department for Transport said it will suspend normal rail franchise agreements and take over all risks as well as revenues for operating trains for at least six months to avoid more rail company collapses. BCLP and HSF had roles in Blackstone's acquisition of a £120 million portfolio of last-mile logistics warehouses from Clearbell Capital. Perfect timing as people turn to online ordering and deliveries even more. Paul Hastings, Freshfields, Stevenson Harwood, and Covington and Burling all had roles in German pharmaceutical company BioNTech's £113.7 million licensing and investment deal with Chinese pharmaceutical company Fosun, for the development of a COVID-19 vaccine. To follow on from the furloughed workers bailout scheme reported on in the last episode, a similar scheme has been announced for self-employed workers with a catch. It will only be available in June and for self-employed workers who earn less than £50,000 in profits each year. And finally, to update on a story I was considering covering last week, the Chancellor has now told UK aviation companies to not expect an industry-wide bailout. If you'd like to read more on any of these stories, links as always are in the description. Now the longer reads, for which there will be two, just like last week. The first of the longer reads is that commercial landlords are beginning to experience a shortfall in rent payments, with retailers like Primark refusing to pay £33 million in rent for the next three months as a result of government-ordered store closures. It's not a tactic I'd recommend for a private tenant, but this story does bring an angle to landlord and tenant agreements we don't often find in textbooks. Primark's rent payment of £33 million was due on Wednesday, covering 126 of its 189 stores around the UK. It's worth noting that because Primark did not have an online store, they are expecting a complete loss in revenues during the period its stores are closed, which they have calculated to be a £650 million loss in net sales for every month they remain closed. A Primark spokesperson announced, and this is a long quote, quote, These are exceptionally difficult times, and, like many retail businesses, we are looking closely at options to mitigate the significant impact of lost sales due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Given that all our stores are closed for the foreseeable future, we are asking our landlords to support us by agreeing terms that will help offset some of the impact. We usually value our relationships with our landlords, and we look forward to resuming our normal trading relationships as soon as possible when our stores reopen. End quote. Primark aren't the only business to announce that they will not be paying rent, with Burger King and Topshop announcing similar actions. Commercial landlords have responded to this wave in different ways, all acknowledging the dire situations their tenants are in. Into properties have offered to cut their service charge fees after only receiving 29% of their rents due compared to the 77% they received at the same time last year, and are seeking to renegotiate some of their £4.5 billion debt with lenders. Blackstone is offering tenants a chance to defer payments for three months, and has created a £10 million support fund for any tenants that may require it, and British Land is giving smaller tenants a rent holiday, and allowing larger tenants to defer their rent payments. So, this allows us to talk about a dimension of real estate law we have not mentioned before. In a tenancy agreement, one could guess that there is a clause setting out that a landlord will provide a tenant with a property to occupy, and another clause setting out the rent a tenant will have to pay the landlord to occupy that property.
One could also guess that if a tenant fails to pay a landlord that rent, there would be grounds for the landlord to evict that tenant. However, this story shows us that before eviction, a landlord's lawyers may suggest more amicable solutions, such as discussions with the tenant as to why the rent cannot be paid and whether anything can be mitigated to the benefit of both the landlord and tenant. Blackstone and British Land in particular have presented solutions that acknowledge the current situation and could not only assist those tenants for the next three months, but play an important role in those tenants remaining solvent and therefore able to pay rent for years to come. Some might see an announcement like Primarchs as tenants strong-arming, but it also reflects a codependence between landlords and tenants we don't always appreciate. The reality is, possibly in a more thriving economy, a landlord would very quickly move to evict a tenant. But what company is in shape to take on 126 commercial properties at a time like this? So, on one side, it shows us an angle of real estate that probably happens more often than we think. And it's the discussions landlords and tenants have even when there might be grounds to sever the relationship. This is obviously the side to consider when we think of commercial awareness. On the other side, it also emphasizes a greater theoretical discussion that we can talk about a little more off the cuff. We often think of a landlord-tenant relationship as quite uneven, and this may very much be the case in private real estate. But considering just how willing these commercial landlords appear to be to mitigate the issues being faced during this trying time, and Intu's apparent quarter-to-quarter -quarter reliance on tenants considering their debt, it tells a different story. We often think of a perfect market scenario with landlords and tenants, at least from the landlord's perspective. That landlords are relatively solvent, with prospective tenants queued around the corner waiting for the current tenant to be evicted. It appears that with no tenants queued around the corner, that an even relationship appears a little more even. In some areas, the scales may even tip during this period, considering a rise in long-term rental listings in London, Edinburgh, and other tourist-heavy cities as the demand for Airbnbs lowers, leading to landlords seeking long-term tenants again. Will it do anything for future landlord-tenant dynamics? Who knows? Regardless, this is a side to a story we can consider for our own thought processes in larger contexts. I'd like to think that clients seldom seek conversations with their solicitors about landlord-tenant power dynamics. And, though the story so far shows landlords willing to share the burden with tenants, this cannot be said for all commercial landlords with Jeremy Joseph, owner of the GAY nightclubs in Soho and in Manchester, discussing his frustration over the £407,000 in quarterly rent he owes, with no way for his clubs to make money during these times, and his landlords refusing to waive or discount the rent. I'm sure this story will be the one we'll hear more of, considering there is no rent holiday announcement in sight. It's worth stating, though, that there is a three-month mortgage payment holiday, and that for the next three months, no new possession proceedings can be brought to evict a tenant. But that doesn't keep those proceedings from being commenced in three months. So, a number of tenants will be left to negotiate with landlords not actually expected to pay for their mortgages for the next three months. You'd think that gives one party a significant amount of negotiating power more negotiating power than they already traditionally possess. Considering that real estate powerhouses like Blackstone and Intu are acknowledging that solutions need to be found collaboratively, you'd hope or think other landlords, commercial and private, are willing to make the same acknowledgement. 
but time will tell. But for our own commercial awareness, once again, this is a reminder of the options a landlord often has over a failure to pay rent, and, following advice from their lawyers, it may sometimes be in their best interest to avoid eviction proceedings. A period like this may be one of those times. Credit for this story goes to Kaylina McCortoff, Amy Donnellan, Connor Matchett, James Temperton, and the UK government website. The second and final read is that firms that prioritize lawyer well-being programs have had the upper hand during this COVID-19 outbreak. This is from an article written by Bloomberg Law, and so it is from an American perspective, but I believe it is transferable to any global law firm. The argument in this article is that firms that have made changes to improve their lawyers' work-life balance have already created systems which allow firms to work efficiently, even if lawyers are required to work from home. This is simply because they would have already allowed lawyers from associate level up to work from home for one or two days a week, and have addressed any of the teething pains such a process would have, such as maintaining proper data security, task allotment, and effective communication. It's actually quite an intuitive view that I had not considered until I read the article. This becomes an important selling point for any firms that may market themselves to any client during this period, as firms are doing with, for my own observations, DLA Piper, Sherman & Sterling, Dentons, Baker McKenzie, and Clifford Chance marketing COVID-19 resources, to name a few. Furthermore, this also incentivizes further attempts to improve lawyer well-being and any legal tech adoption or innovation as they assist towards situation-proofing firms. But it also asks us more questions about the future of work once again. If firms see no dip in productivity from working from home, will there truly be a need for office work across a number of industries? Could this change also do anything for the hours in a workday or the amount of days in a work week? Credit for this story goes to Grace Morale Burnett, Jacqueline Palmer, and Mindy Ratten. This has been the Commercial Awareness Podcast. Please be sure to follow, subscribe, and rate the podcast on your listening platform. It goes a long way. And if you need to contact me, the podcast email address is on the first line of the episode description. And the podcast Instagram page is at commawarepod, that is C-O-M-M-A-W-A-R-E-P-O-D, if you prefer to contact me there, or just want to follow the podcast there for any updates. Other than that, thank you for listening, and you will hear from me next week.